buying something at today's value that it's then going to be built in 12, 24 months, just through the price of construction, the price is going up. Hello, 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 everybody. This is another wealthy podcast with the great King Louis. Mate, thank you for joining the show today. I appreciate the kind words, Dominic. I appreciate them. So everybody out there that is watching, listening to the show today, we're going to be talking about what is going on in the real estate market. Um, at the start of this year, it was the total residential real estate market was worth $8 trillion. And at the end of this year, it's predicted to get to $9 trillion. So that's a big change in price. Um, mm. I want to talk to all of you about that. I want to talk to you about what we're seeing in the market. There's some very interesting market data coming out of CoreLogic. Um, ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, have been giving us some interesting statistics on lending, borrowing rates, who's been coming into the market. Um, and we also want to talk about some supply and demand, what's happening on the supply side, as well as, as, well as what's been happening in the market at large. So, you know, Louis, just to add a bit of context, people out there listening are going, great, $8 trillion kind of who gives a shit what does that actually mean like can, can you add some context of what eight trillion or eight or nine trillion dollars means relative to the other investments in the australian market if you look at the the supermarket stocks market and the commercial real estate market all three of these if you combine all three of these worths you still won't get the, the value of nine trillion dollars which is the predictive end result of the Australian property market by the, uh, the Australian residential property market by the end of this year. So uh, if we look back at um, some stats and, and, and markets like the stock market or, or the superannuation market, and, and it is hard to, you know, for anyone, for any day, uh, an investor or even an analyst, if you don't have a, a strong economic or financial background, whether or not you studied at university, whether or not you, you know, you, you live and breathe by, by the way, you know, the, the finance, <clears throat> uh, the backbone of our country in, re regarding finance works, then it can be hard to understand. But an easy way to put it, it is, it is the biggest and strongest, most powerful investment market uh, or market in the Australian economy. Yeah, and you said some really important things there. So uh, nearly $9 trillion by the end of the year, Australian superannuation, all of our super amounts to a little over $3 trillion. Uh, so it's three times larger than superannuation. The Australian stock market is worth about 2.8, so just shy of $3 trillion. And then all of the commercial real estate is just under a $1 trillion. Now, one thing that I found very interesting is a lot of clients, a lot of uh, YouTubers, YouTube commenters uh, will comment and say, hey, there's, we're too highly leveraged as a country. There's mm. too much debt. There's too much money owed to banks. Now, there's one statistic that, statistic that, that really came out to me, and it was that there is $1.9 trillion of outstanding mortgage debt. And what that essentially means is $1.9 trillion where people are paying interest on that debt. So if you put it into perspective, that is about a debt to equity ratio of 20%. So 80% equity, 20% debt. Um, 
that isn't in my mind that high. I could be misunderstanding this. But when you look at those numbers, it doesn't feel as crazy as people assume. So, no. you know, there's a lot of naysayers saying, oh, if interest rates go up, what's going to happen? Da 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 da, fire sales. Firstly, we don't think interest rates are going to go up anytime soon. And if they were, it's $1.9 trillion worth of outstanding debt relative to $9 trillion worth of actual asset. So I was, I was quite surprised by that, Dom, when I saw. I thought we would be much more of a, uh, especially in the in the in the residential property market, that we would be more debt leverage. But to see that we're, you know, almost seven times, yeah, you know, or, or six times the amount of equity debt, it's. I was actually quite fascinated. I, I didn't. It's not a figure I knew before reading this when when the stats came out, and it's a. Um, and it's a figure that probably surprises the the everyday people because we do hear a lot of uh, negative connotation about debt in the in the economy, or we do hear it. it media is very driven um, by how much debt we're taking on, or how much we're spending and debt and, and debt we're acquiring. So to hear that uh, you know the everyday Australian and the everyday household is paying down their debt and actually is owning uh, you know more than eighty percent of the assets in the country, well then. I don't know, it's a it's a good sign of faith in then or it's also a good rebuttal against as you said the the naysayers for interest rates if they're on the move and and what's going to happen you know the back end of this year moving into next yeah it's some really stable feet underneath mm. us mm. i'd be terrified if it was the other way around yeah you see economic crashes but to yeah to our point it's a um it set our economy up for not a, not if there was a fall or if there was a rise in interest rates, but it, it, we've got a really good uh, structural integrity to our um, to the residential real estate market. I completely agree. Now you know there's a few things that we talk about, Louis, and one of them is uh, supply and demand. Right, it's all well and good. The market has been running, and mm. early there are some early indicators that it's slowing down. It is still growing, but it's slowing down a little bit. One thing I want to talk to you about is uh, that recent report that came from CoreLogic. Again, uh, Eliza Owen put out this, so shout out to Eliza, um, that Australia's dwelling sales to new listings ratio has hit 1.4. Now, mm. for all of you out there listening, now let me just make that a little bit uh, simpler. When the ratio is one, it implies that demand and advertised supply is balanced. So every one bit of property that gets listed, there's one person ready to buy it. So it's basically parity. Normally, the Australian market runs at 0.9%. So there's a little bit more people that are listing than, than buying. So that means that there's it's in, in favor of, of the buyers. That means you know it, there are more people listing than there are people buying. Today, currently in Australia, it is 1.4, meaning that there are way more people buying than there are people selling. There are some interesting outliers like Adelaide, where there, for every one property that's listed, there are two people that are buying. And it's just fascinating to me looking at this data because we're in COVID, you know? Mm. Uh, it makes sense because, you know, that there are a lot of people that aren't putting their properties up for sale and also, you know, all-time low interest rates. People are spending less money on discretionary spending, so it's all-time high savings. Mm. 
but you know what I mean? It feels like a surprise to me. It, it's telling me that there's a lot of steam left in the market. There's still mm. a lot of pent up demand and coming out of this lockup phase, I feel like there's going to be an increase in listings, but there will be um, certainly a surge in sales too. Mm. What do you it, get from all that? It, it contests the idea that uh, it's not the, the biggest thing that we probably face today or the biggest uh, question we get and, and I personally get asked is that is the, is, is the market boom at the moment held up not organically? Has it been implemented by the government to, to a certain degree? It most certainly has. Like I would, I would a hundred percent agree with that. We have, we saw a lot of incentives, a lot of, uh, a lot of movement for the government for the first home buyers and just for the investors and the property market itself to really, you know, hold up the economy during our tough times. But it takes, um, it takes us to really break down these numbers here. And, and you look at, and you read these numbers and you look at them and, and you, you tear them apart. And I was watching Moneyball the other night and uh, it's a great flick about you know, statistics data and, and, uh, and what, what can be broken down and the holes you can see. And when you break this data down, it, it shows you that, or it provides a, a small argument to say that, yes, there hasn't been non or there has been non-organic uh, growth and, and, and it's been stimulated by the government, but also at the same time, there's still buyer demand and low levels of stock. And when we break down these figures and we say that, that look, there isn't the, the stock levels are low to, to buy ratio. Well, we're going to see some demand for prices and price growth is going to, you know, so subsequently, you know, uh, be a result of this. Yeah. It's <clears throat> what you just said there. We saw it, right. Mm. We saw that the government incentivized for people to have uh, first home buyers to enter the market. Um, they created a whole bunch of uh, home builder incentives. And then the ABS data reflected that. We saw a lot of first home buyers come in, first home buyer loans get approved. Mm. Um, but then beginning of this year or beginning to middle of this year, a lot of the first home buyers slowed down. Mm. We saw more owner occupiers come in, but we've seen a, a, a big growth in investors. Mm. Um, you know, you and I talk about ABS data, mm. and I love jumping into that. One thing that stood out to me was that we anticipated this would happen, but I'll, I'll explain what it is. The first home buy slowed down, the owner occupies slowed down. So the lending at largely has slowed, but it's uh, the investors are 100% higher than mm. this time last year. So there are 100% more investors getting loans, buying property uh, this year compared to last year. Mm. As a total, it's 86% higher, the, the amount of people that are buying properties. Mm. So again, there's a huge amount of people that are out there buying properties, getting approvals. And now we're starting to see investors compete with owner occupiers. So this is that demand cycle thing. We're seeing more people step into the market. I think it will slow down, but I don't know if it's, it's I still think there's going to be a strong end to this year. I think so too. I think the class, I said to you yesterday, Dom, I think the class of 2020 um, first home buyers uh, or first home, uh, first property buyers, some investors, some, you know, for, let's grant that, let's put them in the class of the first home buyers of 2020. I think they won out of this. I think they took the, a, they, um, they took a risk and the risk is most certainly by now paid off for sure. That's, that's probably, I don't think anybody on, you know, on the internet, anybody in the media can deny that if you bought and if you uh, got all the, or got all the schemes the government offered, 
and, and you bought your first home, uh, if you bought your first home the back in the last year and you bought it well, then I don't think you have, uh, have had anything to worry about over the past eight months. But the question is, as to, to your point, Dom, is where we go from here as uh, I think the, the next turn or the, the next series of winners, the, the class of 2021, say quarter three, quarter four, uh, are your investors, I believe, that can pick up the best pieces of real estate who don't have to compete with uh, owner occupiers in the sense of, of a hot auction market. And at the same time, uh, a load of your first home buyers have, have filtered through and they're starting to cool off as well. That's a really good point. <clears throat> I think the thing, the trap that you can fall into here as an investor is you can think you're smarter than you are. No offense to the people yeah, that are out there. When you start getting, not you, but like gaming people, mm. you know, people start thinking they're a builder, they're a developer. I'm going to start flipping homes. They start taking outsized gambles on mm. the market. Because the bank and will lend them the money as well. The bank will lend them the money. The market's starting to move. They've got mm. equity in their own home. So they're a genius. Mm. Why don't I just go buy another property? Maybe we should scale up our house and go mm. buy a $2 million home because the market's going to keep on running. So this is when people start to make mistakes. And when you're at an auction and you're competing with an investor, you're competing with a homeowner, you're competing with you know, a, a wannabe developer, the prices start to get really silly. Mm. And... I personally think that this is then the time to be buying fixed price assets. Mm. Most certainly. You know, if you think that the market's going to run 10, 15, 20% in the next 12 or 24 months, go buy it in today's dollars and settle it in 12 or 24 months when it's worth more than what it's when you bought it for today, mm. rather than getting stuck in a war. You know? I mean, it's it can be said to be buying at an auction and you're competing against someone, you're almost buying... Yeah, you're almost paying for your equity that you could have, you know, that you could have gained in the next 12 months. You know, it goes, I don't know, 120, 140, 160,000 over reserve. Um, and to say what it should be, the reserve should be a, a market price for the, I know it's, it can be very indicative of what the, of what the seller would or what the vendor wants. But at the same time, the vendor should get have an idea of this is what the market's worth at the moment. And this is what I'm happy to accept on a market going rate. You know, if it goes over 160, over 180 grand over reserve, it's almost, you could, it's, it's like you've, um, you've bought or you've spent away 18, 20% price growth. If you in, you know, in, uh, in comparing it to if you bought it at a fixed price or are you buying a fixed price asset? You know, and on that point, I don't think that these brand new properties will have, will represent extraordinary value going into the future. Mm. The reason why I say this is I was reading, reading a report just the other day where the cost of construction is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Wood, you know, to go and find wood, it's, it's getting harder and harder. I want to just quickly put up a report and have a chat about that. So the few things that I noticed was that you know, wood mills around the world are working at capacity, but the industry has been plagued by labor force issues, beetle infestations due to climate change. And in the US, the price of wood up has gone up 400%. That's a huge amount of a huge price increase. Mm. In Australia, this is a little known fact that six, uh, 60,000 hectares of soft wood plantations were lost during the bushfires. So it takes 20 to 30 years for us to grow back those trees. That's, that's supply gone. 
Steel prices in the US have gone up 200%. Prices of iron ore have gone up 120%. You know, these all have larger, longer-term implications for the property industry. Mm. We need to use wood. We need to use steel. We use iron ore. We have to use... We have to, the, the, the price of freight has gone up as well. So getting the materials from China, you know, from wherever we're going to buy it from, it's going up. So... You know, even today, buying something at today's value that and it's then going to be built in 12, 24 months, just through the price of construction, the price is going up. Can you lock in an, a, um, a viewer question, Dom? Can you lock in a fixed price bill? Yeah, you can. Two ways. One, you can just literally sign a fixed price build contract when you build a house and land. Uh, you can also, when you're buying stuff off the plan, it is at that price. It doesn't go up because their construction costs go up. Uh, if their construction price, prices go up, then they make less money. Mm. And especially if you're buying something off the plan, John, maybe buying, say, you know, you've bought the first of, of 20 in, in a boutique townhouse development. You buy the first one, you go, yep, I, I've done my, uh, I've checked my boxes. You know, it's got all the it's got all the right elements for for a really nice asset, and then, you know, six months down the track, the construction starts, and Mr. Developer puts his prices up for for the remaining townhouses 30, 40, 50 grand. So, by that's it. That's another place where you can see uh, developers are going to always try to make their money. They're always going to try and put money in their pocket. It's a job for them, and you know, and 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 if if construction costs go up steel framing goes up and everything you know and the concrete is jacked their prices up well we're going to see the developer the only real way that he's going to make uh, himself feasible or you know his job uh, put money in his pocket at the end of the day is by putting you know every individual townhouse up ten fifteen thousand dollars and that's just the way um that's just the way it works yeah absolutely right and you know this well you know when you're lucky or when you've got early access to sites developers, builders, they want to sell the first couple kind of at price quick. or just quick. I want to build momentum. I want to get my debt cover. Then they'll keep a portion that they will then use to sell at completion for a higher rate because people will walk into the property and pay more for a property that is that they can see, touch and feel. It's less risky. So, mate, I mean, we're talking a lot about supply and demand. We're talking about interest. We're talking about what's happening in the market. And it feels like we're going to have a strong end to this year. Um, do you have any other contrarian points of view or do you sort of, you, you think the same? No, I think the same. I think that um, I've said it probably three, four times over the past couple of podcasts, but like any investment market, like any uh like any market in general you're going to have correction phases and you're going to have um phases where the boom wears off i don't think we're going to see what i don't think we're going to continually to the back end of the year see what we saw in march and april and but i going off the the blocks that we spoke about this morning supply and demand and, and interest rate levels i think we're going to be able to see a, a sustainable growth heading towards Christmas. And then I truly feel that we will, we will uh, have another organic push uh, for demand 
uh, when we come out of the lockdown. Yeah, agreed. People will be, you know, whether or not this is in two months, whether or not this is in two weeks, uh, a feeling of freedom and a feeling of let's make a change uh, really can inspire one's, uh, one's want for something else. So I think that organically inside our own economy and our own in property investment market, we're still going to see a sustainable growth. And then as we've, as we've spoken about, you know, uh, we've harped on about it and we've beaten, beaten the horse that once international borders open, international migration, international students and the power of uh, overseas is, is, is when we're going to tailor into that second phase uh, of a hard rise. I'm going to make a prediction here. I, I'm going to say this, that three months from when the Sydney market, when this lockdown ends, mm. we're going to see a spike in, in prices. Reason why is there are a lot of people that want to buy property that are working in retail, hairdressers, you know, the re, you know in the retail trade industry that haven't been working, getting a proper payslip. Mm. They need to go and get, you know, two to three months payslips before they can get a loan and then buy something. So yep. all of those buyers that are waiting to get back in, get their regular paychecks so they can go get a loan, they're going to need a two to three month buffer. So I anticipate that if we get out of this lockdown in September, it's probably going to be a January nice little market climb. Everyone's going to go to sleep during uh, the Christmas holidays. It's probably January, February. I think February, we're going to see a big market shift. Now, um, I'll stop jabbering. We have some client questions here. Uh, so let's have a look here. We've got two client questions that Jenny's put on the show for us today. Um, here we go. So first time investor here, Jeff from Sydney says, should I look into investing in Melbourne or Brisbane apartments with $450,000? Louis, what do you think? Melbourne, uh, Melbourne, or Melbourne, 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 Melbourne. Yeah. Okay. Can't say it sure enough. Um, I would always, this is my personal opinion. This is my, from my educated, I won't say educated guess, but an educated, um, educated opinion that if we're going to go to Brisbane, we've got to get some land. We've got to get a, you've got to get a piece of land. Um, I don't see a lot of value in the, in the Brisbane CBD apartment story just yet. Um, not to say I can't be wrong. And, and as we work our way uh, into the 2032 Olympics with a lot of infrastructure and investment and, and eyes on the Brisbane market and, and commitment by the government, I'm sure the apartment game will become a little more closer. But at the same time, if we can go away and spend 450 in Brisbane and get a four bedroom, two bar, two car house, you know, 30 minutes outside the CBD, uh, 30, 35 in a in an up and coming or even an established community in, in the south or the north, I think that should be the play. But to answer your question, uh, I think the Melbourne, even though there has been a a a lot of criticism on the oversupply of the Melbourne uh, Melbourne apartment market in a CBD ring, I think we can go uh, say 10, 6 to ten kilometers north in, in some really really uh, generational. Uh, type of suburb, you know, if you're if you're listening in in Sydney, uh, Jeff, it would be a St Ives or a you know the North Shore line, where you've got a, a lot of old money and a lot of passed down money and a, and a very 
very community safe feeling in, in that sort of North Shore corridor, moving from Mossman all the way to St. Ives. You can find some of those suburbs in the outer skirts of Melbourne, your Essendon's, uh, your Ivanhoe's, et cetera, that you can go ahead and you can go away and pick up an apartment for maybe a little bit more expensive than that price, but at the same time, uh, value for money wise and, and return on your investment is going to be, I, I believe, a lot higher than uh, a Brisbane asset. Jeff, Louis has said it all, so I'm not going to add any more. I, I, I agree, 100%. Mate, good chat today. We've covered mm. quite a lot. There's a, there's a lot of dense data, so we'll ask Numbers. Jenny to put the, the, the links and things into the comments below. Any parting words of wisdom for our wonderful viewers, listeners out there? Nothing too much this week. Just just keep on your, uh, keep on your toes. I've spoken to... Uh, a lot of developers uh, relationships I have in, in the North of us in New South Wales, in Queensland, in the South, in Canberra and Victoria. And they are, uh, they're all saying the same thing. The, the real winners out of this lockdown, uh, your people who are quite savvy on your computer and, and are taking, you know, the time to, to really think about where we can put our money. It, it is a scary time and it is hard to believe, but in saying that the, the winners uh, coming out of this as, as, the, as they've seen, you know, pre-pandemic and then pre or post-lockdown last one, in, in, you know, the, the start of last year. And then now uh, the winners are the ones who are, you know, are willing to, to look into their investments and to see what they can, uh, they can play with their money. Agreed. For all of you out there, be brave, do your research, start your hunting now. Um, mm. The market's having a relatively quiet moment because it is in this pandemic, but we know it's not going to last forever. So be brave, do your work, you know, partner up with some good people around you. Reach out to me, Louis, the team, and have a wonderful week. Hope to hear and see you all next week. Uh, catch you all later.